Well, today we are talking about how to be saved. The message is entitled, How to Be Saved. And we're in a message series called My Salvation. And the topic of salvation, in some ways, is a very simple topic. It's so simple that a child can be saved. I accepted the Lord as my Savior when I was four years old, and I certainly didn't understand everything I understand now, but I understood the basics. I still remember uh, aspects of that conversation as my mother explained the gospel to me. And yet the topic of salvation is, is so misunderstood that uh, literally... No exaggeration, billions of people in this world think they are saved when they are not. Now, Jesus taught us that there are two and only two roads in life. You can follow along in the white page in the middle of your bulletin. Matthew 7, 13, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That leads to life. And those who find it are few. And so we see that there is a broad road in life that the majority of people are on. But the destination of that road, the end of that road is not salvation, but destruction. The narrow road, on the other hand, only has a, a few people on it, according to Jesus. But it leads to life. It, it leads to salvation. Now, do the people on the broad road, do they know that they're headed for destruction? And the answer is you know, absolutely not. I mean, if somebody knew they were headed for total destruction, headed for hell, they, they wouldn't be going down that road, but they don't know it. They think they are headed for salvation. They think they are headed for perhaps heaven or nirvana or union with God or some other type of wonderful eternity. But they are deceived. So let's look at some more teaching by Jesus on these two types of people in the world and these two types of roads. In Luke 13, somebody said to Jesus, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock on the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. And so in this passage, Jesus explains to us again that many will seek to be saved, but they will not be saved. Only a few will enter through the narrow door. And at the time of, of the judgment, many who have followed the broad road, thinking they are on the road to heaven, will knock on the door of heaven. They will seek to enter, and yet Jesus will tell them he doesn't know them. And that leads to the question, why will so many people think they're saved going to heaven when, in fact, they are headed for destruction? And the, the answer is that the majority of people think they're saved because they're following some type of plan to be saved. That is not true. That is not biblical. Many people think they believe in Jesus himself, but they don't truly believe. They don't understand what believing in Jesus really means. I'd like us to watch a video about belief called faith on a wire. So you see the people said they believed in Blondin. They believed he could take them across Niagara, but they didn't believe enough to trust their lives to him. And in the same way, many people say that they believe in Jesus. They believe 
perhaps that he existed, that he walked, that he said this earth, that he said certain things. They believe he was a good man. Some even believe he was the son of God. But they don't believe enough to trust their entire lives to him. They want to live life on their own terms. They want to follow their own plans, not his. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. He doesn't know them. They haven't, as it were, climbed into the wheelbarrow and allowed Jesus to walk them across the dangerous parts of life. Today we're going to learn how to be saved from the Bible. We want to make sure that we are saved and we want to understand it fully enough so that we can explain it to others who have been deceived. So the first aspect of salvation is to repent from sin. John the Baptist began his ministry saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus began preaching and his message was exactly the same. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what does it mean to repent? To repent means to change your mind. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached a message, and he said that Jesus was the Messiah. He died to provide forgiveness, and he rose from the dead. And the people asked Peter, what what must we do? What is God asking of us? And Peter said in Acts 2.38, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we see that Peter's message... The message of the early church was exactly the same as John the Baptist's message, was exactly the same as Jesus' message. The first step in being saved is to repent. To repent is, first of all, to admit that you've sinned, and then to turn away from that sin. To repent is to change your mind from loving sin, doing what's wrong, to loving God. And so Acts 2.38 really is the key verse of the book of Acts, I believe, of the whole New Testament, and it describes the three steps that God desires, that God commands of each and every person. And that very first step is repentance. And that here in this verse, which is a summary verse, that that repentance encompasses the the other two parts, aspects of salvation, which we're going to talk about in the other points. Once one is saved, then Christ commands us to be water baptized and to be spirit baptized. And we cannot completely fulfill God's plan for our lives as believers, without those three things, being saved, being water baptized, being spirit baptized. Spirit baptism equips us for change in our lives. Peter goes on to say in verse 39, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The promise, the promise that Jesus spoke of in Acts chapter 1, the promise of spirit baptism And this verse makes it clear it was not just for the early church. Uh, It was for people of all time who call on the name of the Lord. What happened? Well, with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. There were added that day about 3,000 souls. So 3,000 people heard Peter preach the message of salvation, they repented, they were saved, they were water baptized, they were spirit baptized. So let's talk a little bit more about repentance. You know, every Sunday, I give an opportunity for people to be saved. The first step in our ABCs is to admit that you've sinned. And 
to repent is first of all to admit that you've sinned, but, but actually repentance is, is more than simply admitting sin. And so perhaps I've erred a little bit of making it a little bit too simple in our ABCs. And so repentance is not only admitting that you've sinned, it's, it's turning away from that sin, determining with God's help that you're not going to continue in that sin. And so repentance is accepting God's forgiveness of your past sins. Now sometimes people try to be saved simply asking Jesus to forgive their sins with no determination to turn away from that sin in the future. In fact, you know, you forgive me now, I'll do it again, you'll forgive me again, I'll do it again, and you know, it's pretty good. I just can do whatever I want and Jesus will forgive me. Well, that's not what repentance is. Repentance is turning away from sin and there is no salvation without repentance. Jesus used the word, Peter used the word, John the Baptist used the word to repent. Repentance comes as the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, we understand that we've sinned, and then as we're convicted of sin, we pray to God in repentance, asking for forgiveness, changing our mind about our sin, turning away from it. Now, repentance is not just a one-time act as we are saved, but it is a, a daily activity for the believer of turning away from sin, asking for forgiveness, and walking on with God. The next step to being saved is to confess Jesus as Lord. And so to be saved, we look to Jesus not just to forgive our sins, but to be Lord of our lives. And this is an aspect of salvation that's, that's overlooked by many. In fact, there is a prevalent teaching uh, that I heard years ago and continues to be prevalent that you can be saved and your sins forgiven. And then if you so choose, you can make Jesus Lord of your life at some later date. It's kind of optional. You know, you can be saved. Or Jesus can be your Lord. And if, you know, you can do it if you want. If you don't, uh, that's okay because you're still saved. You're going to go to heaven. But that teaching is absolutely false. If Jesus is not Lord of your life, then you're not saved. Let's look at what the Bible says, what lordship really means. Paul writes in Romans 10, verse 6, But the righteousness based on faith says, The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, we're going to look at the importance of faith in our third point this morning, but all three steps in how to be saved are, are really interrelated. Now, these verses tell us that we must confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's an essential aspect of being saved. Now, this does not mean someone simply says the words, Jesus is Lord, like some magic formula. If, if you say those three words, then you are saved. To confess something is to speak of a sincerely held belief, something that you believe in your heart and you are speaking it forth. Normally, in the presence of other people, you are confessing before others. In the original Greek language, the word for Lord is, is kurios. It means Lord, it means master, it means owner. So Jesus is owner, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is my master. It's a drive from another word, kurios, which means supreme in authority. And so to confess that Jesus is Lord is to acknowledge that he is my master, he is my supreme authority in life, he owns me. 
And I no longer have say over what I do. I no longer have say over what I think. Whatever I do, my sincere desire is to please Jesus, my Lord. Now, the second part of verse 9 follows. You must believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead in order to follow him as your Lord. I mean, if he's dead, how can you follow a dead man as your Lord, as your master, as your Savior? So you have to believe that Jesus is raised from the dead, that he's alive today. I mean, the concept, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, it makes no sense. Uh, you, you cannot believe that way. A dead person cannot be your Lord, your master, your owner. And so for Jesus to be Lord of your life, you must have a relationship with him in which he gives you orders and you follow those orders. So now let's look a little more closely at the relationship between salvation and lordship. Paul continues in verse 10. He says, for with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And so these verses speak of two aspects of salvation that are closely related, believing with the heart and confessing with the mouth. Now, as we said before, the confession of Jesus as Lord in the presence of others really means that one cannot be a secret Christian. Now, oftentimes, water baptism is a confession. I say oftentimes, it always is a confession before other people. You don't just, like, baptize yourself in your shower, okay? I mean, it's... Uh, it's, you know, somebody baptizes you and it's, it should be in the presence of other people. I mean, even in persecuted lands, they gather in secret for somebody to be baptized. And so you are confessing Jesus as you're baptizing. You can do it other times as well. But you can't be a secret Christian. Jesus said in Luke 12, 8, whoever confesses him before men, he will confess before God. But those who deny him before men, he will deny before God. Of course, to be denied before God means that, that you're not saved. And so we confess Jesus is Lord uh, before other people. We let it be known that he is our Lord. And those who confess that Jesus is Lord will not be ashamed. Uh, the next verse, verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so salvation is open to everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There are not... Simply an elect few that only can be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved, and they will be saved. Now, if you think about this for a minute, uh, Jesus being Lord, if Jesus was truly Lord of all of our actions, of all of our thoughts, of all of our attitudes, well, we would never sin, would we? Well, when one is saved, we confess, we acknowledge that Jesus is our Lord, but we have limited understanding of what that really is. We grow in our understanding of what it means for Jesus to be Lord. We, he is Lord as much as, as we understand. And we continue to grow in our understanding of what Lordship means as we grow in Him, as we grow in our lives. And there are times, First John tells us, there are times that we as Christians sin. Not deliberately, not repetitively, but we sin and we confess our sins 
and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We repent, we give the control back to Jesus. And so repentance is a lifelong process for the believer, lifelong practice for every believer, and so is growing and acknowledging the lordship of Jesus Christ. Finally, let's talk about the third aspect of salvation, receiving salvation by faith. We've already talked about that uh, to some degree in Romans chapter 10, but now let's look at it in greater detail. Now, this aspect of salvation is, is, is probably the one that has the most people confused, the most people missing out on what it really means to be saved. Now, the key concept in Scripture is that people are saved by faith alone. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. You might want to circle that phrase, faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. And so these verses say over and over again, really, so we don't miss it, that no one is saved by works of the law. So what are, what are the works of the law? Well, a simple way of looking at this is that people are not saved by doing certain good things or by not doing certain bad things. You know, the, the law tells us do these things and don't do those things. We're not saved by doing the good things and not doing the bad things. Now, why is it? Well, in order to be saved by the works of the law, one would have to live a perfect life, keeping the law perfectly, of doing everything that God told us to do perfectly and not doing all the things that God told us not to do. And what does God's Word tell us about that, the possibility of that? It's impossible. And all we have to do is look at our own lives. It's impossible. We cannot perfectly keep the works of the law. The only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived a perfect life. And so no person can be good enough to be forgiven, to have a relationship with God, to go to heaven. No person can be good enough. But when a person is saved, they are saved through faith in Jesus Christ by believing in Him, putting their trust in Him for forgiveness of their sins. He paid the price for our sins, and we reap the benefits of that. When a person is saved, they are saved for good works. They're very important, not by good works, but they are saved for good works, a very important distinction. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so salvation is a gift from God. We receive that gift by faith. The gift must be received. People are not automatically saved. Everyone is not automatically saved. Some believe that everyone's automatically saved. Jesus died for everybody. Well, he did die for everyone. He offers the gift to everyone, but it must be received. It must be accepted through faith. No one gets saved by doing good works because no one is good enough to earn salvation. But when we are saved, after we accept that gift of salvation, then then God has 
a plan for each person's life. A plan that's been prepared before people were even born. It says here that we are his workmanship. He created us. And we were created and saved to walk in the good works that he's planned for us. The plan that he has for your life. The plan that he had before you were even born or conceived. And so we are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. And of course that ties in with Jesus being Lord. He's Lord. He has a plan. And we are to follow his plan for our lives. Now... Why does salvation by faith alone confuse many people? Well, I would say a very common belief uh, around the world, and particularly in this country, is that good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell, right? I mean, that's just common sense. Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. And most people believe they are in which of those categories? Good people, right? Most people believe they're good people. They're good enough to make it to heaven, and they know a lot of people who are not as good as they, and so surely they will get in. And people who believe they are going to heaven based on their own goodness, they're not saved because they're basing their salvation, they're basing uh, what they believe on their own good works. And the Bible tells us you cannot be saved by good works. Many of those people may go to church. They may say they believe in Jesus. They may genuinely seem like good people. But compounding the problem is that many churches and denominations teach salvation by good works. You've got to do these certain things and then God will accept you. But the Bible teaches that a person is saved by grace, by faith alone, and that will result in good works in a person's life. Now, one, of the, one simple way to find out what people believe is to ask a simple question. There are probably a number of ways to do this. But one way is saying, asking somebody, you know, at one point all of us are going to die. And suppose one day you died and you went and you stood before Jesus at the gates of heaven and Jesus asked you the question, you know, why should I allow you to enter into heaven? What would your answer be to Jesus? And, you know, have somebody think about it and give their answer. If their answer has to do with, well, you know, I've been a pretty good person. I've done this. I've done that. I've done this. And I haven't done this and this and this. Then they are depending on their good work. And they're not saved. Um, and so we need to explain to them what the Bible teaches about salvation by faith alone. It's a very uh, difficult thing for many people to get their mind around that the good works are a result of salvation, not a cause of salvation, but an extremely important distinction. And again, the Bible makes it crystal clear in the verses we've read and many other verses. This is not just a, oh, God doesn't really care what you think. If, if your faith is in your own goodness and not in Jesus, then you are not saved. Most of us probably know people who are trusting in something other than Jesus for their salvation. 
And that is a great deception. We receive salvation by faith alone. So what should be our response to, to this simple uh, but profound teaching on how to be saved? Sometimes we think, well, everybody knows how to be saved. It's just, I, I guarantee you, there are people you know in your life that don't understand it. Uh, that because we've had these stats before, I don't have them in front of me, but 99.5% of people think they're going to heaven. And it has to do with this being good enough. And that's one of the reasons we have a book out there on the guest table. It's how good is good enough. It just goes into that because that's what most people think. I'm good enough to go to heaven. I'm, not, I'm a good person. And that is not what the Bible teaches. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says, Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And so we need to examine ourselves to make sure our faith is in Jesus Christ not in the good things we're doing, that we keep believing that. And secondly, we need to ask God for opportunities to talk to other people about what they believe, about why they believe they're going to heaven. I mean, you can, you can just uh, mark it down. If you talk to another person, they believe they're going to heaven. I mean, you're going to be right 99% of the time. Everybody thinks they're going to heaven now. There's probably getting to be a few more people who are not sure heaven exists. Uh, but if it exists, they're going to go there. Okay, So uh, <clears throat> ask God for opportunities to have these kind of conversations. So if the majority of people, virtually everybody, thinks they're going to heaven, the question is, you know, why do you think you're going to heaven? It's a very simple question, right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe some people might find it offensive, but... That's going to open up some conversations with people. Find out what they think. If it has to do with being a good person, then, then it's an open door to begin to present the gospel to them, what the Bible really teaches. And that's a, a deeper aspect. And probably many of us have relatives, friends, neighbors, co-workers. And we're really not sure what their spiritual state is. Uh, we've never had an in-depth conversation. We might know, perhaps, do they go to church or not? But does going to church save a person? No. If you're saved, you should go to church. You should go to a good Bible-believing church. But I think it was Billy Graham says, you know, just uh, because you've got you walk into a, a garage doesn't mean you're an automobile. Uh, I mean, just because you go to church doesn't mean you're saved. Uh, and there are all kinds of churches. But even if you go to a spirit-filled, Bible-believing church, you sit in the pew every Sunday or the chair or whatever it may be, does that automatically mean you're saved? No. Uh, and so we need to have conversations with friends, relatives, people we know. Ask God for wisdom on how to talk to them. Oftentimes we let Satan dissuade us. Think, well, if I question their beliefs, you know, perhaps it's going to be awkward or maybe I'm going to upset them. You know, I, I don't want to mess up my relationship with my neighbor or my coworker or, you know, a, a relative of mine. But wouldn't you rather have them upset a little bit and perhaps lead them to going to heaven 
and dissuade them from the road they're going if they're not truly a believer? Wouldn't it be worth that? I think it would. And so let's pray that God would help us to have important spiritual conversations with those in our lives on how to be saved. And I think a very simple way to begin to do that, since everybody believes they're going to heaven, is simply somehow get in a conversation and ask, why, you know, why do you think that? What is your basis? And even if they say, I believe in Jesus, you might need to ask a little more questions about what does that mean? For some people, I believe in Jesus simply means I believe Jesus existed. He said some good things. And so we need to find out so that we can tell people uh, the importance of salvation by faith alone and pray that God would convict people's hearts of the truth, lead them to uh, a true salvation. So once you have a person, you know, how do you explain to people uh, that how one becomes saved? Well, we, what we went through this morning is uh, perhaps a bit long to go through. Well, all those scriptures and everything, we have the simple ABCs. I guess maybe now I should, I don't know, is it RBC? See, it just doesn't have the right, uh, you know, it doesn't roll right off your tongue. But uh, I think when we go to the admit part, we need to talk about repentance too. Uh, we admit that we've sinned. And we turn away from that sin. That's the whole meaning of, of repentance. It, to admit we've sinned. There's, there's too many people, you know, I'm going to sin and then I'm going to ask God to forgive me and I'm going to sin again. And, you know, I, he'll forgive me every time. So what's the big deal? That's not repentance. It's not repentance. You don't, you don't get saved that way. You just kind of uh, deceive yourself. So admit that you've sinned. You choose to turn away from that sin with God's help. You believe that Jesus died to forgive your sins. That's the basis of our uh, being forgiven. He rose from the dead. He's alive today. That is absolutely essential. You can't be saved if you don't believe in the resurrection. And then you commit yourself to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you're going to follow him and do the things that he has planned for your life. So I'm going to bow uh, our heads right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer and... Uh, you know, the word, the exact words of this prayer are not uh, certainly absolutely essential. I, I just pray from my heart. And, and this is the type of thing you could pray with somebody else. You could help lead them in the prayer. Oftentimes people don't know how to pray. Uh, they don't know what to say. And, of course, just mouthing the words that you say is not going to save somebody. But if they believe it, uh, it may help them to verbalize it. So let's pray. Father, today we admit that we've sinned and we repent of those sins. We turn away from them. We, we turn from our sin and we turn towards you. We believe that Jesus died on the cross, took the punishment for our sins upon himself, paid the price, and rose from the dead. And so we commit our lives to following him as our Lord. In Jesus' name. And for those of us who are saved, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for the clear instructions, the clear teaching that you've given to us in your word. In the scriptures we looked at this morning and many others on how to be saved. Uh, thank you, God, that 
we have put our faith in you and you have saved us through faith. It's been a free gift by your grace. God, we, we ask that we would live our lives following Jesus as our Lord each and every day. Help us to understand that more and more. We ask for all the people around us, those who have been deceived by the enemy, that they're going to heaven when, in fact, they are not saved. Give us opportunities to talk to people that you bring into our lives, whether it's relatives, friends, co-workers, or neighbors. God, may we have the, have the courage to take that first step and, and to move the conversation from the weather and the cardinals or whatever to something a little bit deeper, to meaningful discussions about spiritual questions. God, give us opportunities to simply talk to people a little bit about heaven. Heaven is a wonderful place. Help us to ask the question, why, why do you think you're going to heaven? And then give us the words to speak your truth, to bring conviction to people's hearts. We ask for the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us in having these deeper conversations. We pray for the Holy Spirit to convict people's hearts of their need to be saved, their need to have a relationship with Jesus as their Lord who guides every aspect of their lives. God, we pray that you'd use us to lead many people into your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.